Hello, my name is Jake Hardiman. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, I'll update you on Saudi Arabia's newest airline, while Jake sees where an ex-Alitalia Boeing 777 has ended up. Joe will tell us about some scary situations on aircraft this week, while I look at Ryanair's huge summer schedule from Dublin. Finally, I'll explore what's going on with Canadian carrier Flair Airlines. So, now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And yeah, Joe, what can you tell us about Saudi Arabia's newest airline? It's very exciting, and thank you for joining me, Jake. Um, obviously a different voice from our usual Tom, but um, absolutely delightful to be chatting with you. So, a couple of days ago, Saudi Arabia formally introduced a brand new airline. So, we've kind of heard rumblings about this for a while, and up till now it's been known as RIA, R-I-A, um, just kind of a, a tag name, I guess. But now it has been revealed that it will be called called Riyadh Air, um, and it was launched by Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman um, literally like three days ago now, I think. Um, it's backed by the Kingdom's Public Investment Fund, or PIF, which is one of the wealthiest investment funds in the world. So plenty of deep pockets for funding this brand new airline startup. Um, now, of course, it's not going to be replacing incumbent flag carrier Saudia, but rather complementing it. So the vision that they've talked about is having this new airline working alongside Saudia. Um, so the old airline will focus on religious tourism, the sort of Hajj pilgrims and things like that. And this new airline will be more about leisure and business travel. Um, now, there was a funny bit within the statement that was released this week, because a while ago, we reported that Tony Douglas, who, of course, was the CEO of Etihad, had left the Abu Dhabi carrier to become CEO of RIA. Um, but then in January, there were rumours that he'd actually already quit his position like a month into the job. But there was no indication of why. However, when they introduced the carrier formally this week, the Crown Prince specified that Douglas will indeed be at the helm. So I guess he never did leave. Or if he did, he came back rather quickly. <laughs> so leadership aside, Saudi Arabia has got some big plans for this carrier, of course. They're hoping it's going to add $20 billion to the country's non-oil GDP growth. Um, we'll, fund, uh, we'll form ab about 200,000 jobs, both directly and indirectly. And the vision is very much, you know, what we heard Emirates talking about kind of 30, 40 years ago, um, that King Khalid International Airport wants to be a gateway between the three continents of Asia, Africa and Europe, kind of leveraging that middle of the world position they've got there again. Um, Riyadh Air wants to grow its route network to 100 destinations by the end of this decade. But of course, to do that, it's going to need a lot of planes. Um, and they didn't disappoint on that front either, because a couple of days after the big reveal of the airline, we got a taste of just what it's going to fly as well. Um, so just yesterday, as we're recording the podcast, Boeing confirmed an order worth almost $37 million from PIF. Um, that was purchasing an incredible 78 Boeing 787 Dreamliners alongside options for 43 more. So the planes are set to be split between Riyadh Air and Saudia. So um, to break that down, there's 39 787-9s and 787-10s for Saudia, with options for another 10 on top of that. And there's 39 Boeing 787-9s for Riyadh Air to kick them off, with options for another 33. Um, Rumours had it that the new carrier was also in negotiations with Airbus for around 40 A350s. Um, so it could well be flying a mixed fleet. It works well 
for Emirates, Etihad. In fact, I think most of the big Middle East carriers fly mixed Airbus Boeing fleets. Um, of course, we don't know yet about the onboard product, the services, etc. But I fully expect it will be a full service airline with all the bells and whistles, um, knowing what the Saudis like in terms of luxury. Um, and it's not the only new airline that Saudi Arabia is planning to launch because alongside this one, to complement its rather unusual desert city that's under construction known as Neom, it's planning an airline that's going to be just for that development. So it's going to operate out of Neon Bay, which is an airport that will be built for the new city. Um, Neon Airlines is a bit further away. It's going to be beginning operations probably at the end of 2024 or maybe early 2025. But that will become the third national airline for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So, you know, lots going on in Saudi, lots of investment in aviation. And there's lots of money going into things like air traffic management and airports as well. Um, but do you think there's room for not one but two more Middle East carriers, Jake. We seem to be inundated right now. Yeah, it's a very congested market, isn't it? I suppose Saudi Arabia is looking to become more of a tourism hotspot in the coming years. So I guess hopefully they're thinking there'll be sufficient demand to add these two new airlines. Um, it'll certainly be interesting to see how exactly that pans out. Could mm. be too much of a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's not somewhere I've ever considered going on holiday. Um, and I think a lot of people would never for various reasons. But hopefully they're going to try and change that perception and maybe it will become a, a new Dubai in the future. You never know. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe a, a hub, if nothing else. Definitely. So you were going to tell us about an old Alitalia plane that's found a new home, I understand. Yes, indeed. Um, so when we think about wide body aircraft in Portugal, I think the flag carrier TAP Portugal comes to mind. Um, but there's also some of them present at Euro Atlantic Airways, which is a Lisbon-based charter and leasing airline. So they've got the Boeing 767-300ER and 777-200ER in its fleet. Um, and recently they took to social media to showcase the latest arrival of the latter of those designs. Um, so it's almost 19 years old, this 777. And as you mentioned, it previously flew for Alitalia uh, under the registration EIDDH. Um, and has now come to Euro-Atlantic as CSTSX. Um, and although it's got the new Portuguese registration, its cabin has remained the same as in its Alitalia days. So that's uh, going to be a three-class layout that seats 293 passengers in total. Um, as is often the case, the vast majority of those are in economy class, and that's going to be 239 seats in the slightly tighter tenebrest configuration, uh, where the layout is yeah three, four, and then another three. So yeah, squeeze in there. Um, in there, for passengers wanting a bit more space, they've got uh, a nicer looking premium economy section uh, with 24 reclining seats laid out eight abreast in a 242 layout. Um, and then right up at the front of the plane, they're not skimping on the luxury either because they have a, a 30 seat business class cabin that has flat beds laid out with just four seats per row uh, in a one two one configuration with direct aisle access. Um, now, all, all of those seats have personal TVs uh, and USB charging. Um, and so for yeah, those that are familiar with Alitalia's former onboard product, as it were, um, that could be a nice way of yeah, re re experiencing what the airline used to be, even though it's no longer Italy's flag carrier um, and it's been replaced by ITA Airways. Um, now, of course, the operating model of Euro Atlantic being a, a leasing and charter specialist means that while you might like to go on this aircraft, it could very well not end up anywhere 
um, on all sorts of flights. Um, and I had a look at Flight Radar 24, and that shows that recently um, it's been used by TUI Netherlands, uh, flying from Amsterdam out to Willemstad and Bonaire in the Caribbean. Um, so yeah, those passengers will have got, I guess, a, a nice surprise um, if yeah, if they're fans of what Alitalia's product was like. Um, I don't know if you ever got the chance to fly on board with them. I did not, no. But I mean, I looked at the photos of the cabin and you can see they haven't changed anything. I think they've maybe put an anti-macassa that's got their own logo on, but that's literally it. All the colours, the fabrics, everything else is still very much Alitalia. Um, so I did never get to fly Alitalia's business class. Um, and I wouldn't mind having a go actually but I guess it's really going to be potluck whether that plane ever ends up on a route that I happen to be booked exactly in the premium cabin which is a very rare occurrence any, <laughs> anyway I have to say <laughs> no, for now it seems like your best bet is to chance it on these two in Netherlands flights but of course with leasing and charter specialists you just don't know where their aircraft are going to end up so yeah no. like I said it'll probably end up being a, just a pleasant surprise for most people definitely definitely still cool to see that there is some life in the old Alitalia birds yet um, but I wanted to recap a couple of kind of worrying incidents um, because we often hear about bomb threats. And I think particularly with, um, for some reason, European sort of um, narrow body flights, there's been a few um, a few bomb threats over the last few months. But this week there were two um, with some fairly major carriers. So the first one I wanted to recap was um, a bomb threat note that was left aboard a United Airlines flight. Um, so it was actually found in the bathroom of flight 361 which was an Embraer 175 en route to Burlington from New Newark Liberty International in New Jersey. Um, the pilots of the flight were notified that somebody had found a note with a bomb threat in the bathroom just 20 minutes before the flight was scheduled to land. I mean, you know, this is probably just someone having a joke, but it's not funny when you're on a plane, is it? No, and, you know, all. you've got to take it seriously. So, of course, pilots notified air traffic control and began the emergency response at the time of landing. Um, it landed safely at Burlington and then was directed to kind of a separate area of the airport to keep it away from, I guess, other people and planes. Um, and they brought a load of K-9 units on board to search it. I mean, this must have been terrifying for the passengers. Absolutely. Um, I the think I'd have wanted to just get off more than anything. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, they, they couldn't. I mean, it was about 4.30 when they landed and it was nearly seven o'clock before they were able to deplane. So that's a long time to be sitting on a little Embraer yeah. panicking <laughs> that it might blow up at any moment. But um, luckily the police searched the, the plane, no threats were found. Um, the passengers were allowed to get off at, at seven o'clock, but they weren't allowed to bring any personal items with them. So they went to the terminal and just waited. I guess they were searching luggage and personal belongings or checking it with scanners or something. Um, so everything was all right in the end. But then one day later, another bomb threat grounded a Singapore Airlines flight. Um, and this was one that was going between Singapore and Cape Town in South Africa um, using an Airbus A350. And it leaves at like the early hours of the morning from Singapore, about 1.30 in the morning. And then it's a 10-hour flight across to Johannesburg, where it's scheduled to wait for about an hour um, and then carry on to Cape Town. Um, but as it was on its way to Johannesburg, Singapore Airlines received a phone call alerting it to a bomb on board. Uh, of course, OR Tambo International Airport in Johannesburg went on high alert. Um, airport's company South Africa confirmed that emergency services were deployed along with fire and rescue and the police. Um, canine units again went inside the aircraft, but luckily 
did not find a bomb. Um, all of the passengers and crew disembarked safely and other security checks were conducted. Um, everything was fine in the end, but, you know, it's got to be a really scary situation for the passengers. Um, and the one final one I just wanted to recap was one that didn't involve a bomb, but rather bullets, because last Friday, two live rounds of ammunition were discovered on board a Korean Air Airbus A330. Um, a passenger found the bullets, apparently, I don't, I think they were in a seat pocket or down the side of a seat. Um, so he brought them to the attention of the cabin crew. And of course, they had to stop the flight. The airplane was taxied back to the gate and the passengers were all taken off. Um, airport police and anti-terrorism squads search the plane as a precaution but no other dangerous objects were found the flight did proceed as planned um it was several hours late of course um but it really raises some questions of how the bullets got on board the plane in the first place because surely they should be picked up by scanners you know at the gates at security at things like that um so yeah some some questions being answered and some very um scary situations that i hope i'm never involved with um i remember when we were talking to sam chewy on the podcast he told us about a flight where they had a bomb scare and they all had to deplane and they searched the plane and it was found there was nothing there. And then they put them all back on the same plane and flew them. And he said all the way through the flight, it was all he could think about was what if they didn't find it and it is still on the plane, you know. So it's a, certainly a situation I hope I never have to encounter. Yeah, that's got to be scary going back onto the same plane. I guess it's one of those things that you think and hope will never happen and does every now and then. But um, mm. As alarming as it is, I guess it seems that these ones were all resolved peacefully enough. They were, absolutely. But uh, there seems to be a bit of a spate at the moment, and let's hope that's the last of them is all Indeed, I can say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one thing that's uh, not alarming is uh, the nature of Ryanair's growth strategy. I mean, like many low-cost carriers, they've... <laughs> Beautiful during, segue, um, <laughs> <Jake>. <laughs> <Thank> Love <you>. it. <laughs> yeah, no, even throughout the pandemic and now, particularly as, as they exit it, they've really been looking to, to ramp up their networks and schedules. Um, so it wasn't such a surprise this week to see that they've announced what is their largest ever summer schedule out of Dublin, which of course is a, a real main base for the, air, the airport. Dublin's traffic um, has already been exceeding pre-pandemic levels in the recent months, and it just had its busiest ever February, even with the drone issues that it has faced. Um, oh, yes. So that's a positive sign, and it looks as if the summer's going to be much of the same with this new Ryanair schedule. Uh, Ryanair is planning to fly to 130 destinations from the Irish capital uh, across 27 different countries, um, and that will amount to more than 2,000 weekly flights in and out of the airport. Um, yeah, obviously, we know that Ryanair likes to use um, its aircraft on a very intensive basis. So a lot of those routes will be seeing multiple flights a day. Um, and yeah, the airline pointed out some examples of very high frequencies, um, including Berlin, which has 24 flights a week, uh, Lanzarote, which has 28, and Lisbon has 32. So uh, definitely wow. no shortage of options for people wanting a bit of a summer getaway there. Quite an important part of um, how it's achieving this growth is the fact that it's going to be basing more aircraft in Dublin. Um, it's going to be increasing the number of Boeing 737 MAX 8200s that uh, yeah, live there, as it were, from 11 to 16, which will mean that in total it has 33 aircraft based there. Um, of course, across Ryanair's entire fleet, that's uh, a drop in the ocean. But knowing how much they use their aircraft, that will obviously help them um, yeah, connect Dublin with more places than ever before by the sounds of it. Mm. The airport as a whole um, is going to have a total of 26 million seats available this summer um, to 190 destinations. Um, so with Ryanair serving 130 of those, you can see 
quite how important it is for the airport. Um, perhaps unsurprisingly, the biggest market is going to be the UK with seven and a half million seats. Wow. Um, then they've also grouped Spain, Italy and Portugal together, I guess is the, the classic Mediterranean holiday destinations. Um, they've got 5.8 million seats available collectively. And then there's also going to be 2.8 million seats this summer from uh, Dublin to the US. Um, that's obviously historically always been a, a busy corridor and that looks uh, set to continue. Um, and not yeah, by Ryanair, of, uh, though, I think. No, yeah. not by Ryanair. <laughs> no, that's uh, yeah, that would not, be not something they're involved with. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone would be rushing to go across the Atlantic on uh, one of their quite densely populated aircraft. <laughs> but no, where it is going to be um, operating um, in terms of new routes, um, they've got 14 new destinations this summer, um, which yeah, has helped them have this largest ever schedule. Um, and they're situated in eight countries uh, throughout Europe. So we've got Bulgaria, Germany, Germany, Greece, Italy, Romania, Spain, and Sweden. Um, and of those 14 destinations, the frequencies range from two a week in the case of uh, Zakynthos, which is a Greek island, right up to 14 a week, so the equivalent of two per day uh, from Dublin to Venice in Italy. So, I mean, certainly a lot of choice um, coming out of Dublin this summer. Obviously, we all love to hate Ryanair, but with uh, their fares being as wonderfully low as they are, I think there'll be a lot of people's airline of choice this summer coming out of Dublin. Definitely, definitely. And hopefully get a bit cheaper from the UK because the, the British government just reduced the air passenger duty um, actually by 50% for domestic flights. So um, I think it's also gone down a bit for international. So maybe here in the UK, we'll get some of those really rock bottom fares coming back for the summer. I certainly hope so. And, Absolutely. Uh, I'm not averse to a Ryanair flight when it's over only a couple of hours but like you say I wouldn't want to be <laughs> going much further than that. No well funnily enough one of the new destinations is um, your local airport at Newquay. Um, oh, they're flying fabulous. from Dublin to Newquay six times a week this summer. Wow. So that's uh, always nice for a weekend away. I've never actually been to Dublin I might have to go and uh, maybe if Ryanair wants to invite me up I can go and look at their operations up there <laughs> and uh, see how they manage all these huge numbers of flights but uh, no <laughs> good for crossed. them. Definitely. So Ryanair is obviously well known as a 737 airline. Um, I wonder how it would fare if it had some of its planes repossessed right ahead of a busy season. Well, Another that's good segue there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jake. Uh, that's exactly what happened to Canadian carrier Flair Airlines this week. Um, so Flair, you might know, is um, one of the investment airlines from 777 Partners. Um, so their other sister airline is Bonza, which is kicking up a storm down under right now. Um, and I'm sure we will talk about on a future podcast. Um, but for Flair, it's had a bit of a bumpy start to the year. Um, it had to scrap a handful of flights after four of its aircraft were seized over what it's calling a commercial dispute. Um, so the carrier was behind on payments for the planes and claims it had no warning of the seizures. So the four 737s were seized right ahead of the busy March travel break, the sort of spring break period in Canada. And it actually disrupted quite a lot of passengers that were booked on flights. Um, so the Canadian low-cost carrier doesn't dispute that it was behind on payments for the leased aircraft. Um, but it does say that it was just a few days. You know, it wasn't like it was months and months behind. And in a statement it put out at the time, it said, Flair Airlines is aware of extreme and unusual actions taken by a New York-based hedge fund and leaser of certain Flair Airlines aircraft. The airline is aggrieved by this, um, this unprecedented action. Um, 
So at the time, we did uh, get reports that there was one of the 737s parked on the apron at the region of Waterloo International Airport with its engine covers. Um, another two aircraft were seized in Toronto. One was seized in Edmonton. Um, the airline says that it has initiated payment for the aircraft, but it's unclear if this will be enough to reinstate its agreement with the Lisa. Um, at the time, you will notice it very carefully didn't say the name of the Lisa, but it has since. I think it's just like okay. it's had enough now. So we're going to name and shame. Um, yes. And it's Airborne Capital, an Irish-based leasing firm that's been around since 2017. Um, so fortunately for some passengers, Flair did have three spare aircraft that managed to backfill many of the affected flights. Um, and it's promised that any passengers who were booked to flight would be accommodated either on a Flair flight or on another airline's flight at Flair's expense. Um, well, last night, Chief Executive Stephen Jones held a media briefing to tell us a bit more about what had happened with this whole situation. Um, and actually, some of his words, you know, he says he said that it's a collusion <laughs> which I think is a very strong way of putting it, between the US hedge fund Lisa and one of Canada's two major airlines, without naming and shaming the airline, but, you know, it's one of two, yes. um, in an effort to undermine the ultra-low-cost airlines. So he said in the briefing, there are airlines that don't want Flair to exist, but Flair will fly and we will thrive. Uh, he said, I think more will unfold on this as the days roll forward. I'm not going to name names or cite evidence here, but suffice to say, we are very clear about what's being going Going on. We have come in and upset the cosy duopoly, and as a consequence, people want to put us out of business. We believe there were negotiations going on behind the scenes between one of the majors and the leaser to hurt Flair by offering above market rates for the aircraft we have been leasing. So again, Jones did admit that Flair was a few days behind on the $1 million lease payment to Airborne, uh, but said he was shocked that the hedge fund took the unusual step of seizing the four aircraft. Uh, he noted it was unusual to hear of repossession so rapidly after late payment and said that he'd asked around other leases and they were similarly surprised. Um, so he was asked if the, the airline would take legal action against Airborne. And he said, I think we're just going to have to see how things unfold. So no commitment there, um, but a significant thing. And obviously some very serious allegations being thrown about. Um, in terms of the, pa the pa uh, passengers, the carrier said about 1,900 passengers were impacted when the aircraft was seized. Of these, a quarter had rebooked with Flair within three days and had been offered accommodation and vouchers um, and it's appointed a team of people just to assist those passengers who couldn't immediately rebook. So clearly Flair is doing everything it can to mitigate this very unusual action by the Lisa. Um, you know, if it is a collusion, as he claims, I think it's very unusual to see a major trying to squeeze out an ultra low cost in this way. Um, but, you know, it's aviation. It's a cutthroat business at times. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Jake? No, absolutely. Those are some, some very strong words there. But I mean, yeah, low cost carriers, they're, they're often seen as the disruptors. So I guess, especially in a, a can country like Canada, where there's not too many airlines to go around, um, it's interesting yeah, how one airline can have such a sway in that way. But yeah. yeah, it sounds as if they, they've dealt with it as well as they can, but I'm sure they'll be hoping that that's the last of the drama as we go into what will be a busy summer season. Yeah, all the best to them. And uh, I hope the, the situation doesn't replay down under where Bonza is disrupting the two that Absolutely. have got the, the duopoly down there. But um, it's very interesting to follow. I, I always say aviation is better than a soap opera some days. Um, so we'll wait and see <laughs> how this one plays like out. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. 
Oh, but I think that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. Jake, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. No problem. We hope you listeners enjoyed it and welcome your feedback as usual at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.